Welcome to Meals for Maturity, Bible talks to help you mature as a follower of Jesus, by Pastor Dom Fiocco. Well, we can thank God that most of us live in peaceful times and in a democratic society where the majority rules. So think about it. Most votes for a political party usually means the most seats in parliament and then the party gets into power and the top job. The exception, of course, might be American politics, for which the life of me I never really understand. And most Americans I meet can't seem to explain it very well, so they probably don't understand it as well. And trying to watch the West Wing didn't help me either. Majority votes, majority rules. But you see, when it comes to the Christian life, did you realise that the majority vote is not always a good thing? In fact, often it can be a tragic thing, a godless thing to go with the majority. Maybe you've heard the proverb, one billion Chinese can't be wrong. But when you think about it, they are. Politically, ideologically, spiritually, they're wrong. And see, following the majority is not always the right way or God's way. And scripture, of course, is full of examples, as is church history, with the minority being actually God's way. With those that refuse to follow the majority crowd, the majority vote, actually being approved by God. Think about uh, Noah building an ark in his front yard. Certainly he and his family are in the minority. Or Jeremiah and Amos preaching the word of God. Or Elijah against 450 prophets of Baal. Well, think about John the Baptist in the wilderness eating a plate full of locusts. That puts him certainly in the minority. And of course, they're all following the Lord Jesus and his example when he stands alone at his trial in his death. Jesus who takes on the moral majority, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious hierarchy. See, standing alone, standing with the minority is never easy, of course. But then again, remember what the Lord Jesus says, Matthew 7? Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many, the majority, who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few, or a minority, who find it. It seems across the Bible, it's good to be part of the minority, the majority of the time. And that's certainly the case when it comes to Numbers chapters 13 and 14, where it pays to listen to the minority report. Chapters, Numbers chapters 13 and 14 is such a pivotal moment in this Old Testament story. Remember what's happened so far in our Meals for Maturity series? By the end of chapter 9, Moses and the people of Israel are getting set to move forward toward the promised land of Canaan. They've been camped at Mount Sinai and now they're ready to follow God's lead. Remember, a cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. In Numbers 10, the trumpets there to gather his people, the trumpet sound, to gather his people to either walk, to worship or to war. So from chapters 1 to 10 in Numbers, things are looking pretty good for God's people. They've been obedient to what God commands them to do. They've started their journey really well. They're trusting, they're obeying as they walk together in faith, this great nation redeemed out of Egypt, walking under God's kindness and grace. It's been a, a perfect start, really, to an exciting journey of fulfilling the promises of God. A perfect start until we reach chapter 11, verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. Three days into their journey, grumbling, complaining, whinging becomes the norm. And Numbers 11 seems to 
undo all the good work Israel has achieved across chapters 1 to 10. The last time we heard lots of complaint stories, remember? For all Israel's good beginning, chapters 11 and 12 seems to wreck it all. How tragic that the events we're about to look at in chapters 13 and 14 means that what should have been an 11-day journey turns into 40 years of wilderness wanderings. Too bad for the babies being pushed across the desert. They'll be 40 by the time it's all over. So Israel arrives at the border of the promised land, chapter 13, verse 2, which God is giving to the Israelites. So all is looking good. Well, let's hear chapter 13 from Hannah and the challenge of some tricky names, which she handles very well. Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 to 20. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the people of Israel. And these were their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shamua, the son of Zakua. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Horai. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Egal, son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Paltai, the son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, son of Zodai. From the tribe of Joseph, that is from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadai, the son of Susai. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali. From the tribe of Asher, Sethor, son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nabai, son of Bovsai. From the tribe of Gad, Guel, the son of Machai. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Moses sent them out to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into Negeb and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds or whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was a season of the first ripe grapes. So Moses in verse 3 follows the command of the Lord and he selects 12 leaders from each of the tribes of Israel. And they're to go into the promised land on a reconnaissance mission, to check out the lay of the land, to take note of how good it really is. And Moses gives them a questionnaire to complete. What's the fruit like? What are the towns like? Does it have a good takeaway? Is the weather better than Melbourne's? Is it peaceful and lush like Tasmania? You 12 guys, go on a James Bond spy mission for us and bring back a report on what God is giving to us. It seems from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 22, the purpose of this spy mission, we read, is to strengthen their faith in God's promises. So away the 12 spies go. And after 40 days of checking out the land of Canaan, which is about 250 miles each way, they return with their report card. Now, chapter 13, uh, verses 25 to 33, we read their report. This land does flow with milk and honey. 
that is, it's a rich, fertile land, not with literal waterfalls of milkshakes and honeycomb houses. It's not quite the Cadbury advert, wouldn't it be nice if the land was chocolate? And they say the fruit's fantastic. A cluster of grapes took two of us to carry. Imagine the wine we can make. And they report the cities and the towns. They're near the seas and rivers and the, and the hills. It's just beautiful country. And the cities are well secured. They're well built and they're populated. And some of them appear to be pretty strong. See, there's nothing negative so far in this report. It's all according to what God's told them would be the case. Sure, the land is vast and the people powerful, but God's on their side. And all along, he's, hasn't he promised them this land? All along, hasn't he guided them to this point? And hasn't he shown his power and providence to his people? It's only been a couple of years since uh, this generation have witnessed the plagues across Pharaoh's Egypt and the Passover miracle and the great escape through the Red Sea. He is, after all, Yahweh, their maker, their redeemer, their covenant promise-keeping God. But then, from verse 31 onwards, things take a turn for the worse in their report card. We can't attack these people. They're stronger than us. They're huge. We'll be like an under-11s netball team taking on the All Blacks as they charge at us with a flat rugby ball between their teeth. Their cities are fortified. They drink wine that's fortified. We're going to be fortified. When we stand next to them, we're like grasshoppers. They'll crush us with their little toes. They're giants in the land. What hope have we ever got trying to enter this land? See, back in chapter 12, remember, there are murmurings and grumblings within Moses' own family. But now by the end of chapter 13, there's murmurings and unbelief across all the families. It seems Israel has not learned the lessons from chapters 11 and 12. And we're told that these selected spies from the 12 tribes then spread an exaggerated report among their people. You see, these leaders should be reminding God's people of God's faithfulness, especially coming out of Egypt. Instead, they foster fear and unbelief. And so the result of their report spreads throughout the entire Israelite camp. And with hopes and dreams crushed, we read of this tragic night. Numbers chapter 14 verses 1 to 4. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Here is a sad, tragic moment across Israel's history. All the congregation raised a loud cry. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly complained, Let's choose another leader and go back to Egypt. It is a tragic night this night. For all of Israel were not only complaining, they were wishing that their redemption was undone. Incredibly, in verse 3, they wished to be back in Egypt, back in slavery. Later on, the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they'll use this phrase, returning to Egypt, as a synonym for rebelling against God. Sarah Groves, a Christian uh, musician, puts it well when she sings, 
I've been painting pictures of Egypt, leaving out what lacks. The future feels so hard and I want to go back. It is a tragic night this night, for all of Israel thought it better to die in the wilderness than to go into the promised land. And so God will be true to their request, for die in the desert they surely will. It is a tragic night this night, for all Israel rebels against God. All Israel displays unbelief in the promises of God. All Israel reject God's plan of salvation, his deliverance from them. I say all Israel because the text tells us that. But it also tells us that there are two notable exceptions. A minority report. See, out of the list of names in chapter 13 of the 12 spies, there is a reason why parents now only choose two of those names to name baby boys. Joshua and Caleb are the exception. And what mighty men of God they actually turn out to be. We first hear Caleb's voice back in chapter 13, verse 30. And there he's a minority voice, one out of 12. We read, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take the land for we can certainly do it. And then in chapter 14, verses 6 to 9, Caleb and Joshua this time speak up. And Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes in response to verses 1 to 4 and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. See, the two spies don't deny the report card that's been given by their ten mates. They just come to a radically different conclusion and way forward. The big difference, of course, is that Joshua and Caleb take God at his word. They trust and believe what God promises about the land. They recognise that God is with them and not with the people of Canaan. They realise God's much bigger and more powerful than all the Canaanite rugby players put together. And they remember what God's done for them in the exodus from Egypt. And they believe, verse 9, that the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But it's a tragic night this night. For all of Israel sides with the majority report rather than the minority report. It's ten spies against two. And Joshua and Caleb are silenced. To the point where, chapter 14 verse 10, the whole assembly now wants to stone them to death. You see, in the space of a few minutes, the whole scene turns ugly, like a bunch of Liverpool hooligans facing off against Manchester United fans after another Manchester United victory. And the remainder of chapter 14 shows us God's response, and then Moses' intercession, and then finally God's judgment against Israel. Let me summarise what happens. You, you can read chapter 14 for yourself, but God's response, chapter 14, verses 10 to 12, God is holy. He must deal with sin and disobedience. So God plans to destroy, to disinherit Israel. He wants to virtually start again with Moses and his descendants, like another Abraham part two. And then we read verses 13 to 19 of Moses' intercession. This is very similar to Exodus 32. Remember the golden calf worship episode where Moses intercedes after God threatens to destroy his people. 
And Moses' mediation here, of course, is pointing us to see that one day a great mediator will stand in for us and plead for us. So Moses intercedes, he appeals to God's honour and reputation. He cries out for forgiveness on behalf of God's people. He appeals to God's nature of mercy and grace. And the great Old Testament cry we hear often in verse 18, The Lord, you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. So we see God's response, Moses' intercession, and then verses 20 to 45 of chapter 14, we see God's judgment. God does forgive them, and he does not disinherit them as his people, but his judgment falls upon the entire adult generation, except for Joshua and Caleb. So verse 34, there's 40 years of wandering will be their punishment, one year for each of the 40 days of spying. The punishment fits the crime, you see, and this adult generation will die in the wilderness and never reach the promised land. The ten unfaithful grumbling spies, they are struck down immediately and God's holiness is preserved. Judgment is dealt out, but God's faithfulness is upheld. His promises will still stand for the children of Israel. That's chapter 14 in summary for you. So Numbers chapters 13 and 14 is such a key moment in Israel's history. Unfortunately, it's also a tragic moment as well. Israel are unfaithful, yet God is faithful to his promises. His promises to Abraham still stand just to the next generation. Chapters 13 and 14 is such a pivotal moment in Israel's history that its message reverberates down through Holy Scripture. See, centuries later, this tragic turning point in the wilderness wanderings is recalled as different generations of God's people keep thinking about this terrible failure. So Numbers 13 and 14 is remembered right across the Bible. Numbers chapters 32, Deuteronomy chapter 1, Psalm 95, Psalm 106, Amos the prophet chapters 2 and chapter 5 go back to this episode. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 which we've already heard read previously. Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. Such is the tragedy of Israel's failure to take hold and to trust in the promises of Yahweh. And again, tragically, a journey that should have just taken a couple of weeks to complete now takes 40 years of pain and death and wandering in the wilderness, which means this Meals for Maturity series will go on for a little longer yet. But let me ask, what does all this mean for you and me? What do we do as Christians with Numbers chapters 13 and 14? Well, we bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament via the Gospel. And we pick up on what does the New Testament do with these chapters? You see, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 14, recounting a number of number episodes, including these chapters, we are to look back and be warned. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14 to examine our lives and to make sure we actually learn from Israel's past mistakes. And then according to Hebrews chapter 3, again recounting a number of numbers episodes, including these chapters, we are to look back and we are to learn. So Hebrews chapter 3 verses 12 and 14, uh, 12 to 13, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart 
leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another, encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Like the ancient Israelites before us, as followers of the Lord Jesus, we've been given the promises of God and the rich blessings that are ours in the gospel of grace. So friends, let us not reject God's word and his goodness. Let us not turn our back on God's promises. How often are we encouraged to not believe God's word and to remove ourselves from God's goodness? How many times this coming week will you and I face opposition to God's way of living? How many different voices will call you away from God's plan for your life? How many different modes of temptation will float past our senses this coming week? How many times will you and I be tempted to listen to the majority report rather than the minority report of a Caleb or of a Joshua? How often will you give in to paint pictures of Egypt and leave out what it lacks? The future feels so hard and I want to go back. Always forgetting that the Holy Spirit has actually taken up residence in you and me. As followers of the Lord Jesus, we are to look back at Numbers 13 and 14 and not be found falling short of the promised land that God has given to us in Christ Jesus. We are to keep trusting in God's word, not following the world's ways, even if it speaks a majority voice. According to the gospel story, we're to look back and learn, but we're also to look forward and follow. For the New Testament encourages to look forward to the only true Israelite worth following. You see, it's not Moses or even Joshua and Caleb who are ultimately worth following, for they all fail at some point in their lives. They all sin and fall short of the mark. There's only one true Israelite worth following, only one true Israelite who walked in the wilderness and made it to the promised land, entering heaven and now sitting at God's right hand. Only one true Israelite has ever proved faithful at every turn, trusting God and his word at all times. Jesus, the, the one true Israelite, brings us forgiveness. He shows us the way to our promised land of heaven. And indeed, by faith in him, actually promises to carry us home. So may God strengthen our sometimes weak faith that we might actually hear his minority voice and that we might look back and learn and look forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to Meals for Maturity. Keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ.